Pakta Puja Byadika. In the 11th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, Krishna says to Uddhava that if, if you want to do the best worship for me, then worship my devotee. And the way Prabhupada put it was, love me, love my dog. Also, Srila Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur had said that when one associates with a materialistic person, then it's especially pernicious because the habits and mindset of the person is infectious and we take on those qualities. And by the same token, when one associates with a pure devotee, then one also transforms one's heart just by the sangha, by the association. The reason is given in the Srimad Bhagavatam by Yudhishthira when he speaks to Vidura, when he said, Bhavadvida Bhagavatas Tirta Bhuta Swayam Bibo, Tirta Kurvanti Tirtani Svantakstena Gadabrita. He certified that Vidura was a holy place personified. In fact, he said that, Vidura, you're so pure that when you go to the holy places, you purify those places because people generally come with a lot of baggage to the holy places. As Tukuram Prabhu this morning said, there's the Stula Budi and the Shukshma Budi, or the Jada Budi, as Bhaktivinoda Thakur speaks about in his prayers to Prashadam, Jada Budi Parihari. That's people's minds and intelligences become like a stone, worldly, because they're, they want to live in a stone house, and therefore they're thinking of stone, and their mind becomes stone-like, and their hearts become stone-like. And in order to appreciate the beauty of the spiritual world and of Krishna, one has to imbibe it from someone who's experiencing it. Therefore, Yudhishthira said, you carry the <coughs> Krishna within your heart wherever you go. Everyone can feel it, especially from your association. So when a pure devotee moves about the world, he or she sanctifies it. And just by the association of the devotee, which uh, is absolute, although we emphasize, we, we talk about the association sometimes of pure devotees as that it is necessary to be there in their personal presence. But there's um, the vani that is penetrating and it's eternal that, that changes our hearts because as we talked about the other day, sound carries consciousness. And the sound vibration that comes from a pure devotee is compared to the saffron particles that come from the lotus feet of Krishna when a pure devotee speaks, he or she, the, the sound vibration touches Krishna's lotus feet and then it mixes with the particles of saffron that are on Krishna's lotus feet. So when we hear it, it changes our hearts. It's transformational. So if we didn't have the vapu, means the personal association, 
of Srila Prabhupada. We can hear his vani, which means what he spoke, and it's imbued with those saffron particles. But we can also experience uh, his presence by coming into his personal quarters, where we are now. Prabhupada inaugurated this temple in 1975. Uh, we invited everybody to come. We were all here. And he um, sat for the ceremony, installing the deities and so forth. These rooms, there used to be a bank here uh, somewhere in Prabhupada. There was an uh, India, Indian bank that Prabhupada also included when he opened the temple. And he stood somewhere here in front of the bank to inaugurate it. And he told a joke. Where? F front of the, where? Really, it was way over there? Oh. Well, he stood there in front of the bank when it was opening. And he said that uh, one time a person heard, who had heard that <clears throat> It takes money to make money, and that money attracts money. So he came to the bank, and he put some rupees in front of the bank teller. And the bank teller took the rupees and put them in the till. And then asked the man, well, what are you doing here? And he said, I heard that money attracts money, so I put my money there. And the bank teller said, well, our money has attracted your money. <laughs> So was, uh, Prabhupada was personally involved with all the different aspects of the development of the temple. He oversaw the architectural plans that, that uh, Sarap Swami had put together. And he also walked around the, the grounds personally and would see to it that things were in order. He didn't like messiness or people leaving things out of order. So when he would walk around, he would survey everything and point it out, say that should be fixed, and so forth. So every aspect of this place is where Prabhupada lived. It's the place he departed for the spiritual world from. And we can benefit just by being here and then remembering him. And it's highly effective to offer prayers here especially Giri Rajmarsh was pointing out the other day how powerful Prabhupada's pranam mantras are, that by saying Prabhupada's pranam mantras, uh, actually uh, an anecdote about that. When I was traveling with a senior godbrother in various places in India, we were going to many temples, and we'd go in and we'd offer our obeisances. And as disciples of Prabhupada, we would say, in front of all the deities in all the temples, Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prishtaya Bhutale Srimate Bhaktivedanta Swami Niti Namine Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Pracharine Nirvishesha Shunyavadi Paschata Deshatarine. So after a few days of traveling and visiting temples, once we were offering our obeisances, and then he looked up at, him, at me and he said, Why do you think it is that? In front of all these deities, we offer Prabhupada's pranam mantras. And I said, you're my senior godbrother, you please tell me. And he said, this informs the deities who let us in here, 
who has brought us here. And when we have the calling card that I'm with that person, that's the best way to get in anywhere. Everyone knows that. I'm with such and such is the most uh, <clears throat> effective way to go places where ordinarily you wouldn't be able to go. Like getting into you know, a soiree. If you go to the soiree and you weren't exactly invited if you're with the son and daughter of the host, you say, it's with me. And so devotional service has Gopi Paranadana Prabhu, the late great Gopi Paranadana Prabhu, said, in devotional service, it's not as much as what you know that counts, but who you know. That's what really counts, who you know, who you're aligned with. That's where the power is in devotional service. And that means aligning by following uh, the instruction and emulating the mood. And when one can say this, then the sh that I'm with, I'm working under this pure devotee. Then our path becomes assured, or the clear path becomes assured. As Srimad Bhagavatam says, Twayam bujakshakila sattvadamni samadhidam veshitachetasayake that one should uh, meditate on the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And then one should also follow the Mahat, or the great souls, Mahat Kritena. And if you follow the Mahat Kritena, then the Bhagavatam says, the ocean of the material world shrinks to the size of the water contained within the hoofprint of a calf, and you can easily step over it by following in the footsteps of the pure devotees. Does that resonate with everybody? So uh, let's sing a prayer that we all know to ask for uh, shelter under Srila Prabhupada's lotus feet. For those of you who don't know this prayer, it's called the Guruvashtakam. It's eight, Ashtakam means eight. So there's eight prayers, and in these prayers is a description of the, the, the mood and activities of pure devotee. So we sing these as a glorification of His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. Uh, Srila Prabhupada um, came and lived in Vrindavan for more than a decade before he went uh, to the West. However, uh, some come to Vrindavan to stay permanently and vow never to leave. But arguably, Prabhupada's mood was different. He came here so that he could leave, fully prepared to go to the West and um, bring all of us here. And. Uh, People noted that, that although he lived in Vrindavan like other sadhus, he was coming and going to Delhi because he was mainly concerned with his printing books, printing of books. And there was a place in Delhi in Chippiwada where he had a 
uh, a house that was owned to him, a place to stay, and he had a typewriter. I don't know if you know this, but Prabhupada typed with two fingers, like that. And the, uh, the gentleman who was interviewed by Solina Satsrup Maharaj later when he wrote the Lilamrita mentioned in his interview that what was Prabhupada doing there, he was typing and typing and typing. Store coming. Maybe that can be turned off. Doesn't make a difference. It's off. Okay. And when Prabhupada was living in Vrindavan, also, he got an invitation to go to Japan. There was a conference there, uh, the cultivation of the human spirit, and they wanted Prabhupada to come and speak on behalf of the Vedic perspective. And if you read in the history of Prabhupada's, the chronology of Prabhupada's letters, you'll, you'll find that even while preparing a book specifically for Japan from Vrindavan about nature, Prabhupada was so observant because he looked into the Japanese culture uh, of course, there's Buddhism and there's also Shintoism, where the culture is to see God in nature. It's pantheistic. Buddhism, something else. But there's an aesthetic in Japan that's noticeable as soon as you get off the plane and walk through. Uh, if you go to Japanese temples and so forth, everything is designed for the aesthetic quality, even in the commercial world. Packaging is everything. And they appreciate beauty. So Prabhupada picked a section from the Bhagavatam where the observations are going on in seeing Vrindavan and all the natural phenomena there. And it's heartrending actually, to read it. It's lessons and also revealing the beauty of Vrindavan in relationship to Krishna and his associates. And so Prabhupada had been focused while he was living in his room in Radhadamadar, uh, writing that book, tap, tap. And also, he was writing numerous letters to try to get funding to go. He didn't have any money. Not the kind of money you'd need to come out of Vrindavan and go to Japan round trip. So he was appealing to various government authorities to make some conversion so that he could uh, realize the funds to be able to go. It's a very different world now, kids, than when than we were boys and girls. Uh, <laughs> India is very different. It's much more open now. When we used to come to India, when you're coming in the country, if you were carrying a tape recorder, which was a big deal, they would stop you at immigration and write down the serial number and you'd have to bring it back out again. And when we first got into Calcutta, we saw a, a, a gentleman sitting in the middle of the floor and he had important paperwork that he was filing and he had a nail and he was poking a hole in the corners and then putting twine through it. This was uh, high tech. There was only one kind of car here, 
that was the ambassador, right? And even they were far and few between. It was a very different world, and India was more isolated. It was more difficult to come and go. And of course, Prabhupada had never been out of India, so he couldn't get to Japan, but he wrote that book. And then, after he exhausted all the avenues for going there, still the manuscript remained. It was discovered later on, after Prabhupada had left. And His Holiness Tamal Krishnamaraj had put it together. He was in Hong Kong, and somebody discovered the manuscript in one of Prabhupada's trunks, and then brought it out, the book. I'm bringing this to bear because this was the mood of Srila Prabhupada in Vrindavan. He was thinking Japan. He was thinking America. How can I bring this Vrindavan to others? And in one of his poems that he wrote while he was here in Vrindavan called Vrindavani Bhajan, he's visualizing the spreading of the Sankirtan movement all over the world. And he says in his poem, that people are inside their homes and they're looking out the window down the road and they're wondering when are Nitai and Gore going to come and save me? Prabhupada's vision. When Prabhupada met his Guru Maharaj here in Vrindavan, it was in Radhakund, and he fervently asked him, what can I do to serve you? And his Guru Maharaj confirmed that if you ever get money print books, try to do good for others. Try to spread the Sankirtan movement. His Guru Maharaj wasn't so satisfied with the huge flagship temple that the devotees had built. Uh, there was one disciple who was a millionaire, which was a big deal back then. And he expended his not only his entire treasury to build that Bhagbazar temple, but he also passed away a few days before it opened because he had worked around the clock to open that temple. Nonetheless, uh, Shila, and of course, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur blessed that disciple and everybody else involved in the project. But he expressed to his disciple, Abhay Charanaravinda, who became our founder Acharya later on, that I'm not so pleased with the mood once we have a place and everyone arguing over who gets what room. I, we were better off, he said, in Oltadunga. That's a place that just opened in Calcutta. You have to go there. It's the best. It's, it's the most potent, in my opinion, pilgrimage spot on, in the universe. It's where Prabhupada met his guru and asked him. Oh, actually, his guru didn't ask him. He didn't ask him. His guru just told him, this is your service, <laughs> before any, before any words, other words were spoken. And that place in Oltadunga Junction Road, they, were, they the Gaudiya Mat, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta and his, some of his followers were staying in, was a slum. It was very run down, and they didn't have much money. And an ast he made an astounding statement once that they barely had enough money to buy rice. Now that's hard to fathom here in, there in Bengal because all you see is rice everywhere. <laughs> but that's an indication of how dire it was. And after they got this big temple and they were getting some notoriety, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta noticed a change in the mood. Some of his disciples 
becoming um, attached to a room or the fact that they were using conveyances like cars and they started taking it for granted, perhaps, as, as he indicated. And he told, he told his disciple that better we sell the marble from that temple. That was his intimate exchange with, with his disciple by Charanaravinda. That he said that better we take the marble from that new temple, we sell it, and we get some money to print books. And so this is the mood of the, the advanced devotees. The Madhyamadhikari thinks about how to do good for others. For him to stay, so they had to put him in a hotel. So in Japan, and I won't go into all the details, but they have these places called love hotels. That should just be enough. <laughs> but Prabhupada was so willing and so malleable to, to go anywhere for the sake of reaching out and touching people, people's hearts and giving the message of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu the way his spiritual master had asked him to. He just did it. He'd stay there. And in that place, uh, there were fledgling devotees trying to keep the movement afloat and develop it there in Japan. And one of the devotees uh, who had recently been initiated had approached Prabhupada there and told him, you know, I made all these vows. I'm, I can't follow all of them. And Prabhupada looked at him very compassionately and he said, one day you will walk. He, he was so encouraging to everybody, everywhere he went, to uh, just keep good, do, doing your devotional service, keep going. And he knew the mission was, would, would have a steep climb going all over the world, people just being introduced to Krishna consciousness. But all of that uh, was incubated in his, in his heart and mind here in Vrindavan. And one of the first manifestations of his huge success around the world was to build this temple. And it was erected. There's pictures on the wall there. If you look out in the hallway on your way out, there's two pictures of the devotees, international devotees on the bottom floor and then up on the roof also. I think the ladies are up on top. And that was 1975, Prabhupada opened this temple. And then uh, these are his quarters where he uh, stayed and um, did his uh, organization and his bhajan and he would, he would come here from time to time to stay in Vrindavan. So we can, we can um, uh, have a few more uh, re reminiscences. Remin we can have a few more memories of Srila Prabhupada uh, here. Havi Prabhu, would you like to say a few words? This is Havi Das Prabhu, my dear godbrother, who um, has uh, been in Krishna consciousness for 50 years. And... Um, whose heart and soul is uh, following Srila Prabhupada. And if you just offer us. Hare Krishna.
the first time I met uh, Krishna consciousness was in, in Israel. I was uh, only 19 years old. And um, at that time I, I met a couple devotees who were sent by Srila Prabhupada, Dinesh and Krishna Devi from California. And uh, Dinesh was the first devotee who recorded Prabhupada's classes before another devotee named Krishna Kanti took over. So, of course, there's a story, uh, a story before I met the devotees also, but once I met them and I went to visit them, you can imagine how difficult it was to, coming from a Jewish background and looking at these pictures and the smell of strawberry incense. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was very new. And who is this person in the, uh, in the wall painting? Oh, that is Krishna. And who is Krishna? Krishna is God. Are you serious? I mean, everybody's looking for God everywhere, and you have it hanging in your wall. <laughs> and then uh, he told me that, Dinesh told me that he, he recorded Prabhupada's uh, voice and I wanted to hear his voice. He said, you want to hear his voice? Yes, please. So he, so he had these seven and a half reels, seven and a half inch reels, original ones. And I put my headphones and that's the first time I hear Bandiham Sri Guru. I had to take the headphones out. My whole body was completely affected. And um, I knew I was somewhere important. And uh, yeah, lo and behold, Prabhupada came to Venezuela in 1975, where we had a chance to, to interact a little bit. 1973, I was initiated in Los Angeles by him. And uh, I'd like to uh, say one, one experience that I had in Mayapur, can I say that, this experience? Um, uh, since I opened the temple in Colombia, in, in South America, uh, we, uh, we collected some money and we decided to go and buy some, some goods for the temple. Mirdanga, Harmonio, Dodi, Saris. And so, I was there with senior devotees and suddenly I hear that uh, Prabhupada says uh, that he wants to speak to the leaders. And when I heard that, I, I said, well, I, I am one of the leaders. I am a president of the temple, therefore I am what? Of course he was not with me, he wanted to speak, but I took any <laughs> excuse just to see him. And I was the first one to arrive at his room. I really ran, ran to his room because I thought many already are there and there were nobody. It was Prabhupada sitting down in his seat, in his asana, in front of his desk, and he was uh, just with a gamcha and the whole body was uh, oiled with mustard oil and he was just sitting there. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I gave my obeisances, but from there I didn't know what to do. And uh, so, so the, first, the second thing that I did was smart at that point is that I went to the corner of that room because I knew that if I stayed where I was at the door, somebody will go and say, Javi, you have to, you have to, you have to go. <laughs> because I was in the wrong place, right? But to, <laughs> calculating carefully, I went to the corner and I just sat there. And uh, I just started to look at Prabhupada. And Prabhupada, he didn't even look at, he, he was there and I was there. But we never exchanged glances. I was just looking at him. In fact, I couldn't even blink my eyes. Because this is here. This Bhagavatam speaks about this caliber of person. And I, who I am just a invertebrate, I am sitting in front of, of such a high... Um, uh, class personality who represents the best culture the universe have seen. I was very lucky, but I was looking at Prabhupada and Prabhupada was looking at his hand. All his movements were extremely slow, abnormally slow, and he would just move his head to one place going and again to the other and back to his hand as if he was in a thick place, in a dense, uh, because how can somebody move like that? I couldn't stop looking at him, and while I was doing that, the bodies were coming, the real leaders were coming. And, um, and uh, everybody was, yeah, we were like 30 person. sorry about that. We were like 30 persons, uh, devotees, sitting there, and uh, we, everybody was doing exactly what I was doing, just watching at Prabhupada. Just watching. And, it was ve and, and time passed. There was no time. There was no sense of time. It was the now, you know, the famous now, be now, here and now. Well, that, that was the experience, and not because you were talented, but because the force, the power of Srila Prabhupada invaded us in such a way. And then the light went off. You know, at that time, you know, even generators were not there. So we had to bring uh, 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 a devotee. Huh? Yes, the lamp, the, the oil lamp, one in each side of the room. And, uh, and of course, you know what happens when fire comes in. It's not like light. No, it is fire, little, right, candles of fire. And then it, the whole room becomes, there are shades, and it becomes even more mystical and more. And, and I said, look where I am, you know, and what I'm doing, you know. After some time, Prabhupada said, so what do they say? And uh, he was asking that because at that time in New York, there was a big upheaval because of the middle class and the high class, middle high class uh, uh, families in New York. 
their children were becoming Hare Krishnas. And what is this? So they went to the media and they they generated a scandal. So Adikeshava was the president temple at that time and he said, Prabhupada, they say we're brainwashing. And Prabhupada went back to his hand. And we again moved the head here and there and we were just watching. And he said, brainwashing? We're not brainwashing, we're brain giving. And of course that softened the atmosphere because at that point, you know, everybody was just disciples in front of... But he accepted that uh, um, intimacy with, with humor. And uh, he said, uh, first, before you... Of course, if, you, if, you, if you're saying uh, brainwashing, you first have to have a brain, right? in order to wash. So it's not, <laughs> so it's, it's not, not brainwashing, brain it's brain giving. And, and, and then I don't understand you people from the West, if something is dirty, washing is bad. Such a simple logic, you know. How, we don't even know how to express ourselves. You know, we, we think that washing something, is the, what's the problem then? Um, and then Lokanath Swami at that time arrived from with his bullock cart and he offered a, a poetry, beautiful poetry to Prabhupada. Prabhupada looked at it and said, you compose this? Yes. And you could see this loving relationship between Prabhupada and his disciples. So um, this is just one of the experiences a devotee can have in relationship to Prabhupada, not the official one we see sitting down in the asana and the one who gave uh, the, 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 the Vedic text to the world, but that intimacy and that uh, heart-to-heart relationship that is really, you know, lava matra sadhu sangha, that's the real definition of or just a single, you know, just few seconds with a pure devotee can change your life. And we experience that. So we're here sitting down at his house, at his place. Of course, the whole world was his house. But um, we are very privileged to, to be sitting down here, of course, with Vaisheshika Prabhu, who is uh, one of the most exemplary uh, results of Prabhupada's teachings. And uh, I am honored to to speak about Prabhupada and honor to be by your side. Am I doing all right? Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, So in a minute, we can go out and look at the rest of the uh, area where uh, Prabhupada
worked and slept, and from, from the place where he left the world. Actually, in the next room, you'll find Prabhupada's deity, and then there's a bed. And that's, uh, you may have seen pictures, but when Prabhupada became ill, finally um, had a s sense that it was time for him to leave, he came here to Vrindavan uh, to make his departure. And very remarkably, even though he was emaciated and hadn't been eating for uh, weeks, he asked that he could continue translating his Srimad Bhagavatam. So you will see iconic pictures from that bed that's in there with Prabhupada, attended by his, uh, of course, his servants who were there to help him uh, during that time, and also his editors. Praduna Prabhu was the Sanskrit editor, Jayadwaita Maharaj was the English editor, and Prabhupada had entrusted in them the duty to uh, take his words and, as Prabhupada said, uh, clarify them for, uh, for clarity and force, and also improve the grammar so that it would be acceptable to the scholarly. Uh, and you'll see that uh, Prabhupada is on his back. Some recalled the image of, of Bhishma. On the battlefield, those of you who don't know the story, there was a great warrior named Bhishma, the greatest warrior of all time, but he was, by Krishna's arrangement, defeated on the battlefield of Kukshetra and was riddled with arrows. And the arrows had gone through his body. However, he had a, a benediction from his father that he could leave his body whenever he wanted. So he waited there on the battlefield, even though it's as if he's pinned to the ground with these arrows and lying there on his back. He was still fully conscious and fully Krishna conscious. So much so that uh, Krishna uh, brought Yudhishthir to meet him because Yudhishthir was disconsolate after the battlefield of Kukshetra and Bhishma spoke. This is why there's a parallel because Prabhupada had been on the battlefield throughout the world the, if you just read one book called uh, I'll Build You a Temple by Giri Rajaswami, we just finished reading it, Nirakul and I, before we came here. And just from that one segment, you can, uh, f from that one view of Prabhupada's life, how every moment of his days after he came to the West or even before were in battle mode. In fact, he used to sign his letters as if he was in a military camp. At the top of his letters, you'll notice he'll say, Camp Vrindavan, Camp Dallas, Texas. <laughs> and he would bring his lieutenants, his generals in. He would consult with them and so forth. So Prabhupada thought of his mission as a, a war against Maya. And he said, in the war against Maya, we take thousands of, and millions of transcendental literatures and we rain them into the laps of the conditioned souls. Just like during wartime, bombs are raining from the air down onto the enemy. And so Prabhupada had lived like that until the last breath. He was in that battle mode. And also the, the mood I spoke about before of thinking how to do good for others. Parupakar. It's one of the qualities of a pure devotee. Is Parupakar thinking, how can I do good for others? And, and the mood also is paradukaduki, 
means I suffer because of the suffering of others. So most people, when they're ill, they'll just um, be reclusive. I mean, when they're that ill. Prabhupada, on the other hand, had his editors holding the book. There was no digital stuff back then, kids. Um, and they held the book over Prabhupada's face so he could see it and somebody else was holding the dictaphone to his mouth. He was too weak to use his arms, but he was whispering the commentaries. You can read those. They're in the 10th canto, 13th chapter. That last chapter is Prabhupada, from the bed you're going to see in the other room, speaking his last instructions. They're so lucid and compassionate, as always, as all, all of his commentaries are. And, and you'll see what it's, uh, the, the living example of what Krishna talks about in the Bhagavad Gita, dhiras tatra namuyati. Even in the most trying circumstances, a self-realized soul is not disturbed, but goes on with his or her duty and continues. So that was Prabhupada. And he set that example for all of his disciples. He was always careful to set an example. Once in France, when he had done a program, the devotees had brought him outside to have uh, the, the car pick him up, but somehow or other the car was late. And it was getting later, and Prabhupada uh, should have, I mean, somebody should have arranged for him to have a seat, or the car should have been there on time, but, but it wasn't, and they didn't bring a chair. So uh, one of the devotees saw right nearby there were some, there was an establishment, something like a... Uh, some, some kind of bistro. And they said, Prabhupada, you could sit down here. And Prabhupada said, what do they serve there? And they told Prabhupada, and he said, I cannot sit there because of the example. He was always aware of the, that he was being observed by all his fledgling disciples. And whatever he did, they would emulate and it would set a precedent for all time. Try that on for size to have somebody or many people or thousands or the whole world watching every move you make. That's the job of the world Acharya, to set that example. So in his leaving the world from that bed that we'll see and circumambulate, that uh, he spoke his last words in the Srimad Bhagavatam and that was um, memorialized, uh, his, his last thoughts in those last purports. And in one of them, he said, go on discussing, reading and discussing the Srimad Bhagavatam, because by doing that, then all your difficulties will be solved. And you'll be able to work everything out by going on, which comes under the category, by the way, of always keeping the transcendental vibration going. I just thought I'd slip that in there. <laughs> so let's see if anybody would like to say a couple of words before we uh, move to the next rooms. It was uh, so nice to walk in and see um, this room packed full of devotees that wanted to be here in Srila Prabhupada's quarters and, and hear a little bit of Prabhupada Kata. Um, how many have read Srila Prabhupada's Lilamrita? Good, good. Um, I highly recommend it. There's a condensed version and then there's one that's um, several volumes. And it's, the condensed version is also available 
on Audible, so you can listen to it as well. As, as Hobby Baru was saying, you know, we know Srila Prabhupada from his books, from his lectures, uh, but to have a little bit more intimate and broader understanding of um, who Srila Prabhupada was, you know, as a young man, um, as a child, as a young man, and you know, businessman, and, and then starting the movement, it really um, helps helped me have a more mature outlook uh, in Krishna consciousness and to see that everything we do is uh, a lifetime in preparation for the next thing that, that Krishna is going to provide, the next seva, the next service that, that Krishna is going to provide. Srila Prabhupada, you know, had so many uh, qualities that he he ran a business, he raised a family, uh, and then, you know, as Pooh was talking about, he printed books, he did Sankirtan all by himself, so many things that he did all by himself. But when you read the Leelamrita, or if you read some of the books written by Srila Prabhupada's disciples, where they had that kind of uh, intimate service with Srila Prabhupada, as Prabhu said, we just finished reading Girar Swami's book. So many lessons, so many lessons in that in that book, in how um, a disciple surrenders, as Giraj Maharaj did over and over and over again, and um, how compassionate and loving and nurturing Srila Prabhupada was. He was. I mean, we were. If you were in your twenties, you were old. You know. Um, Satsuru Maharaj was 27, he was old, you know. <laughs> and, and so Prabhupada was very, very loving and patient and a disciplinarian when he had to be. And as Prabhupada said, he was always the, the perfect example, always the perfect gentleman. And uh, so when we, when we, come, when we come here, uh, I never came um, to India before Srila Prabhupada left. I came in for the first time in 1978. So I don't have memories of coming to this place while Prabhupada was still with us physically. And so I think of this place mostly as where Srila Prabhupada left. And so it's, it's, it's very emotional. It can be uh, bittersweet. And uh, on Srila Prabhupada's disappearance day, which according to the sun calendar was November 14th, 1977, and as you know, it changes each year according to the lunar calendar, but it's during Kartik. And Srila Prabhupada left at about 7, 17, 720, something uh, along those lines in the evening. And the devotees decorate this room here Prabhupada, actually, his, where he used to sleep was, is upstairs. But when he got really sick is when they brought the bed down here and um, served him down here. And the devotees decorate this room with flowers all over the ceiling and the chandelier. They make a beautiful, beautiful coverlet of flowers. And uh, as many of us as can crowd into that room. And there's an RT offered at the time that Srila Prabhupada left, it's, it's, as far as I, back as I can remember, it's always Gopal Krishna Maharaj. 
stands at the foot of Prabhupada's bed and offers uh, an arti to show Prabhupada's picture. And then we circumambulate. There's not a lot of room there. We'll have to do it in, uh, you know, groups. Um, and it's like that then, too. But we circumambulate Srila Prabhupada's bed, and uh, Gopal Krishna Maharaj has one of Srila Prabhupada's chatters, and it gets passed around and, and um, put on our heads. And uh, it's, it's beautiful. There's beautiful kirtan going on. The lights are low. It's just a little uh, dim. Um, but we, we've seen those pictures of Srila Prabhupada on his, on his uh, bed uh, passing. And if you've never been inspired to read Srila Prabhupada's books, that should do it. There he was with days, hours left, and he's giving his all to give us those books, to give us his spiritual ecstasies. And so the, the trouble he went through, the sacrifice he went through to give all of that to us. And look how many languages now, how pleasing that is to him. So um, I hope that coming here and just soaking up the rich environment here in Srila Prabhupada's room, you don't have to do anything else but just be here. It's, the mercy is just flowing. And I just hope that um, it inspires all of us to spread Krishna consciousness, to become more serious in our practice of Krishna consciousness, and to, and to read and distribute Srila Prabhupada's mercy. And again, thank you all for coming. I was really, it just, my heart just leapt for joy when I, when I walked in and saw you all here. It's really an honor to be here with you all. Thank you. Remember, by Prabhupada's mercy, he engaged us so completely that a whole lifetime's gone by. And sometimes I look down and I go, like, where did it all go? And I say, oh, good. Actually, I kept busy <laughs> somehow or other. And uh, I don't know, we were here in 1975 for this opening, and we were with Prabhupada. He went on some morning walks, and uh, um, on one of them, I'm going to get to the story in a second, but... Uh, we were on a morning walk out here in Vrindavan. Uh, this area was desolate. In fact, it was very difficult to get a rickshaw to come up here because they all go, we're not going up there. There's nobody there. It was dead. There were no shops, anything. Only this place. That's it. That's all there was. Prabhupada had this vision of building out here. And plus, somebody offered the land, so he built here. But it became, as you can see, a center uh, for activity in Vrindavan and of course because of Prabhupada's presence and because he brought devotees from all over the world it became an international destination for people he really and ask any shopkeeper in Loi Bazaar we're all multi-millionaires now like how how life changed for them it's it's um, uncanny wherever Prabhupada brought his um, his movement you know it expanded we were on a morning walk and it's, um, there was just kind of open area and Prabhupada wanted to walk across a field and so we were in a group and one of the sannyasis there was walking in bare feet. Prabhupada didn't walk in bare feet. Um, and so there's these little stickers. If you haven't met them in Vrindavan, maybe you will. 
it helps um, alleviate any uh, upper rods when you step on one. Uh, so, no, I'm not recommending it, but you, they're little stickers. So this devotee with bare feet was um, wincing every once in a while, and Prabhupada stopped his whole entourage, and he looked and he said, uh, this, is, this is not good. And the, the sannyasi said, for you, Prabhupada, I don't mind. It's okay. And Prabhupada said, it is in no way okay. And it just struck me, Prabhupada made arrangements for him because he didn't want to see his disciples' foot get pricked to, uh, to come with him on the walk. And that, that is emblematic of the way Prabhupada dealt with all of his disciples. In fact, with everybody, he was always uh, watching, not just for their spiritual advancement, but also for their physical well-being. Even when Prabhupada was very ill, devotees with tears in their eyes, inevitably, they talk about how when they would come here to see Prabhupada in his final days, and Prabhupada wasn't eating and could barely speak, uh, he would ask them, did you get prasadam? Are you, have you been taken care of? That's what he was thinking of uh, as a nurturing father for, for everyone and especially his disciples. The, the opening of this temple, uh, at the time you could see the, the mixture of people, of devotees in this picture. I don't know what the one on the bottom is, but the one on top is, the, is an iconic photo that was taken uh, when we were opening the temple, and everybody was there. It was a much smaller movement back then. I mean, there were devotees that didn't come, obviously, but that was a bulk of the, <laughs> the devotees, the preachers from around the world, most of them Europeans and Americans, as you can see from the photo. And so there was a big installation pro program, and Prabhupada invited local priests who do a lot of fancy stuff to install a deity. I mean, it's, it's remarkable how many rituals there are to open a temple and, and install a deity. And they're all very beautiful, actually. However, Prabhupada had a huge kirtan going on. He had all of us Americans, Europeans, and a giant stand-up kirtan. We didn't sit down that much in those days. And there were... <laughs> Prabhupada played a harmonium, but nobody else did. It was very rare. I think. Pretty well, you did. Every once in a while. It was very rare. It was mostly Madunga Kartal Kirtan. So there's a huge Kirtan going on uh, all the time during the opening of the temple. And Prabhupada had uh, written about it later in one of his purports in his books. And he said, We actually didn't need all the rituals. He said, I only did it because the locals wouldn't accept that the temple had been opened properly. He said the kirtan was the uh, main point because in Kali Yuga, nothing else is effective except kirtan, except for chanting of Hare Krishna. Harinama, 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 Eva Kevalam, Kalona, Steva, 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 Gatiranyata. And th that was Prabhupada's mood also that the chanting of the holy names was the inauguration and it's the be all and end all. In fact, Jiva my story. So there was a, I guess it's, I'm sublimated because I don't want to tell the story, but the, Prabhupada did the first Artik 
here for Krishna Balaram. And you can see is, there's another picture in there. If Prabhupada, he's got many garlands on and a kurta, and he's offering the artik there. And then the next artik would be done by uh, the rank and file devotees. And I was here with a, a party of the party I was part of, and we were called the BBT party, and we used to travel around to distribute books. And so our leader didn't get ahead in his services by being a uh, back-pushing person. He was very assertive, and because we had been out in the field distributing books for several years, he felt that we should do the first artik. And so we went into the uh, three of us, that is our leader, this Tripurari Mara, she had just taken sannyas, and I was with Suradas, my dear godbrother, just passed away a couple months ago, and my lowly self. And we went into the Pajari room to ward off all the other big leaders who might poke their head in and say, I'm going to do the Artik. So I distinctly remember uh, that Bhagavan Prabhu came and Gurudas Prabhu, they were really big leaders, and our leader said, nope, we were here first. <laughs> and Suradas Prabhu and I were standing behind our leader and saying, no, no, let him do it. Because we were very nervous, because Prabhupada was to be at the Artik. And uh, Pradumna Prabhu was there and he told us, this better be good. Because it took all the pressure off. Because he said, Prabhupada will be there watching. And not only that, all the who's who from Delhi, Vrindavan, they're all going to come to watch this Artik. So that made us feel really calm. <laughs> also, I just want to point out that in 1975, when the temple opened, we didn't have a padati, a book, standardized book that told how to do deity worship. We just learned it on the fly. Wherever we were, there were every temple had a slightly different approach. And so we had a little training in it. That's it. And then they told us, go on the altar. Prabhupada's going to come in. We're going to start the artik. And then we started it, and I got on the altar at Shishi Radhisham's altar. Tripurai Marj was at the middle altar with Krishna Balaram, and then there was Suradas at Gornitai's altar. It was a fiasco from, my, from our point of view. Uh, the fan was going full blast above Gornitai's altar, and because of the new construction, which was evident everywhere, no one could find the, the, the switch. <laughs> They looked for a few hours before the Arctic and no one could figure out how to calm that fan down. There was no apparent place. It might have got sealed in the wall or something, Indian construction at that time. And uh, we had never done a simultaneous Arctic. It takes a, a little coordination and practice. We didn't practice. What I'm leading up to was that uh, we were slightly disjointed in, pre in, in the presentation and then Prabhupada offered obeisances at all three altars and then, of course, stayed at Shishirati Shams, where I was. And when I looked back, I saw not just Prabhupada, but all the dignitaries, all the biggest sannyasis in the movement, all standing there looking at me. <laughs> I was just a kid. So I came on the altar and looked at the paraphernalia, 
and froze because I'd never seen such paraphernalia in my life. I'd seen other kinds of paraphernalia, but this looked really different. And fumbling through, and uh, one of the mistakes I made was something I learned in Chicago at the temple that the Pujari shouldn't be seen, should be way back. So I was staying back, and somebody came on and asked me to move forward. Probably said she'd be more clear. And my crowning achievement was when I, we used to take the water from the conch after we'd offer it and then personally throw it out into the audience. But uh, my godbrother, who was uh, known to be stern at certain times, uh, Tamal Krishnamarash, was standing right there accompanying Prabhupada. And I think he took the brunt of it. <laughs> Meaning that he got splashed pretty heavily by the throw because I was, I didn't have much finesse in throwing it. I had not practiced that much. And as Suradas Prabhu was imitating him later, he was like <laughs> looking at him. <laughs> as only Sura Prabhu could do. In any case, obviously there were mistakes were made. See, I use it in the passive voice. Then, and afterwards, Prabhupada came back to this room and he asked one of his leaders, uh, who was that doing Artik? Meaning all three of us and the kind of Keystone Cop uh, presentation we had done. He, he was slightly perturbed. And then uh, one of our leaders who knew us well, and it was one of our, the champions of our party, Rameshwar Prabhu, Prabhupada. Prabhupada, these were book distributors. They're not really trained up in Pujari work. And Prabhupada said, book distributors? And, and yes, and Prabhupada said, then that is all right. <laughs> Meanwhile, I had gone back to my room and uh, had uh, put a shutter over my head and was ready to be decommissioned from my Brahminical initiation. And Rameshwar came looking for me, knocked on the door and said, here's what happened afterwards. And that's what Prabhupada said. It was not only a big relief, but it was an impetus to me that Prabhupada's mood was so forgiving for this uh, expansion of Krishna consciousness that he always gave benefit of the doubt to devotees who were sincerely trying to do Krishna consciousness and gave us space to grow. And from that day, I always uh, applied myself to learning the, the art of doing puja to try to make up for that one day that I felt like I let Prabhupada down. And it was a great learning experience for me. And it was a great honor to be there at that time when Prabhupada was showing off his temple and to, to see how forgiving he was. And now we're going to take some, uh, uh, a few minutes just to walk out and go through some of the other rooms. There is a uh, museum and it has Prabhupada's paraphernalia. Take time to look in there. It, it, it reveals his personality to some degree, all the paraphernalia of a pure devotee is called tadiya. It's actually worshipable. It's transcendental. In fact, some people, like uh, in Chaitanya Lila, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gave one of his chutters to the king, and he kept it and worshipped it. So it's worshipable paraphernalia called tadiya. And then we'll, uh, we'll also, if we can, circumambulate uh, Prabhupada's bed. Thank you very much, everybody. Vanchakalpa the Rishjana.